listening to a podcast of Elam Lutheran Church in Osakis, Minnesota. Our passion is to be an oasis of life-giving water where lost and wandering souls can find eternal refreshment. For more information and to find out more about our ministries, please visit osakiselamchurch.com. Or if you're in the area, come visit us in person. Isn't it encouraging to know that our limitations will not prevent God from using us? I don't know about you, but I struggle with that pretty much on a daily basis. God's not searching for pre-qualified applicants who meet a certain set of criteria. No, he takes us where we are with all of our fears, with all of our failures and brokenness. He redeems us through faith, and then he uses us in his plan, his redemptive mission to restore and redeem a lost and broken creation. Who's that? Today we're continuing our Broken Heroes series by talking about Naomi's bitterness. Now, we actually did a whole series on the book of Ruth. I encourage you to go back and, and listen to that if you get some time. So I'm not going to go through and, and give all of the background. I'm just going to tell you enough for our purposes today. Uh, so we've got Naomi. Naomi and her family, they're Israelites. They moved from Israel to Moab during a famine. And while they were there, her husband died. Her two boys married Moabite women, and then both of her boys died. So left without any resources of her own, Naomi and one of her daughters-in-law, Ruth, they decide to head back to Bethlehem where there is food in the land once again. But all of Naomi's pain and heartache that, that she's had kind of bottled up for years just starts to, to bubble over, and that's where our text picks up this morning. I'm going to read from Ruth chapter 1, just a few verses, 19 through 22, and I'll ask you to rise this morning for the reading of God's Word. Ruth 1, beginning at verse 19. So the two of them, this is Ruth and Naomi, the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? She said to them, Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. So here's a fun question to kick off this morning. How many tastes can you taste? How many tastes can you taste? Anybody know the answer to this one? The correct answer is five, believe it or not. Five. When taste buds were discovered in the 19th century, they figured out that our tongues have like these, it's really interesting, these like five different types of sensors, right? So there's sweet, salty, sour, something called umami, which is Japanese for yummy. Didn't know that. Uh, that one is free of charge for you. Um, and then, of course, there is bitter, right? And bitter foods would be stuff like arugula, 
coffee, ginger, and Brussels sprouts. According to one author, our taste buds actually serve like a kind of survival mechanism. So if something tastes bitter, that's probably a sign like, eh, you know, I don't know if I should actually be consuming this thing right here and now. So with bitterness, part of the purpose is to prevent us from ingesting toxic substances. When something tastes really bitter... Uh, that can be a, a marker for us, right? And, and so when the, when the Bible talks about bitterness, for example, in our story today, when Naomi is bitter toward God, right? This is the specific type of bitterness that we're talking about. Literally, like a, a taste in your mouth. The taste of wormwood is a literal translation of what this means. I haven't eaten a lot of wood, but my presumption would be that it's not very good. In the book of Job, this word for bitterness, it's even used to describe the poisonous, putrid bile that comes from the gallbladder. Okay, so when we get bitter, that's what the Bible is talking about. This bad taste in our mouths that just won't go away. Naomi was bitter, and for good reason, right? She had a really rough life, full of pain and suffering. First, she had to leave her homeland of Israel to journey to this foreign country of Moab. All right, and this wasn't like moving from Osakis to West Union kind of thing. This is like Moab was, uh, was, was their sworn enemy. It wasn't neutral territory. So they'd done battle with Moab. They worshipped different gods there. It wasn't the first church of Yahweh. It was the first church of Chemosh. And she's in this foreign land and, and surrounded by foreign gods. There with her husband, and then what happens? Her husband dies. And then her two sons marry Moabite women, and then her sons die. So Naomi decides to move back home again to Bethlehem. So just to recap here, her husband dies, her two sons die, so three funerals, two moves. Yeah, <laughs> Naomi had her reasons to be bitter didn't she? She went away full and came back empty. She even attributes this to God. God sent me away full and brought me back empty. She returned to Bethlehem with this bitter taste in her mouth, so much so that she wanted to change her name, right? She said, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Lord has dealt bitterly with me. The funny thing about bitterness, though, is that sometimes it tastes kind of delicious. You know what I mean? There's kind of a pleasure we derive from conjuring up old memories. It doesn't matter how long ago the cause of the bitterness was. It could have been last week. It could have been two decades ago. But we keep rehearsing it in our minds to keep it alive. It's kind of like eating candy before bed. Right? You know you shouldn't do it, but those peanut butter M&Ms, they're calling your name, right? So you do it, and you suffer the stomach ache afterward because of the immediate gratification. You just say, well, it's, it's worth it. In the same way, we revisit the source of our bitterness, that triggering event, conversation, bad memory, injustice that we suffer, whatever it is, again, and again, even though it burns our insides like fire. There's a kind of righteous indignation that comes from painting ourselves as the victim. And we become more and more faultless each time we play that memory in our minds, don't we? 
we were wronged and we want to feel vindicated. Our memories are like that. We're the good guy, they're the bad guy. The whole thing turns into this self-justification project. There's, there's like this courtroom in our minds, right? We're, we're there and, and, and they have wronged us. We are the innocent party. They are guilty. But these people or this person or, or in Naomi's case, God, whoever it is, was never punished. So we hold on to bitterness as like a, a weird way of compensating for that. But what does Scripture tell us about this? this? This idea that we are righteous, sinless, faultless in our own eyes. Well, 1 John 1, 8 and 10 says what? If we say we have no sin, we what? Deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. And then verse 10 says we make God out to be a liar and his word is not in us see bitterness reveals a lack of self-awareness on our parts it's an unwillingness to to look at the log in our own eye before we take the speck out of the other person's eye right jesus talks about this it's like you got a you got a two by four sticking out of your eye and you're trying to do surgery on your neighbor who has a, a speck in their eye Man, get that two-by-four out first. You're not going to be able to see clearly, right? But there are other things that cause bitterness, too, some of which are totally outside of our control. Maybe you've lost a child or know someone who has. Maybe you or someone in your family is suffering from poor health, and it's been going that way for a while. Maybe you've experienced hostility or abuse. Maybe your dreams have crumbled. You're trying to figure out how to put the pieces back together again. Life has just left you bruised and bloodied with a bad, bitter taste in your mouth. If that's you today, you need to hear that Jesus sees you and that he loves you. He sees your pain and he is with you in that pain. He identifies with you in your suffering. You don't have to justify it. You don't have to explain it to God. You don't have to tell him, you know, I'm really hurting here. Pay attention to me. He knows that. He sees you. He looks on you with compassion, and he loves you fiercely. It says in Hebrews, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us in our weakness, but one who is in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. God loves you so much that he sent his one and only son to rescue you. That is the truth. See, this side of heaven, we experience sin not just in our own hearts and in our own actions, but in the world around us at large, just by virtue of the fact that we live in a fallen world. Like, bad stuff happens, right? And it's not always our fault. Jesus was, was clear about this. John 9, 1 through 3, he talks about this. The disciples were always like, well, Jesus, who sinned, this man or, or his, his father, that the father or the mother, that this person is experiencing suffering? And Jesus is like, no, that's not what it's about. It's so that the glory of God may be displayed. Here's the thing that I love most about Naomi's story, though, okay? 
God doesn't reject her or punish her for her bitterness. Did you know that? Did you notice that? As we were reading through it, he doesn't cast her out. He doesn't condemn her. Instead, he sticks with her. And by the end of the story, he totally reverses the situation. If you've read the book of Ruth, if you haven't, you should. It'll take you 10 minutes. But here's how it ends. I'm going to blow the ending, so spoiler alert. Ruth 4, 13 through 17. So Boaz, who turns out to be a relative of Naomi's, this kinsman redeemer, he took Ruth and she became his wife. And he went into her and the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name. I love that image. The whole neighborhood gathering around to, to name this baby. The women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Naomi's bitterness didn't become a barrier to God's love, did it? Why? Because sin is no match for God's grace. Sin is no match for God's grace. His mercy is greater than the worst thing you have ever done, the worst thought you've ever had, the the angriest word you've ever spoken. Through faith in Christ, there is forgiveness. The most bitter root can be made sweet. Through the shed blood of His Son, God can rinse clean that bad taste in our mouths. Because here's what happened at the cross. Jesus drank the bitter cup to the dregs. He drank it until it was empty. Matthew 26, 39 tells us that Jesus asked for the cup of suffering to pass because he knew how it would taste. He knew what the cross held. He knew the suffering and pain that he was going to have to endure for the sins of the world. Yet in the end, he prayed, not my will, fathers, but yours be done. Jesus became the Passover lamb so that we would never have to taste the bitter consequences of our sin. He drank the cup himself to free us from the bitterness lodged in our own hearts. So where are you at with all this this morning? Is there something you've been holding on to? Something that's maybe left a bitter taste in your mouth? Something you can't forgive? Some history that you can't move past. Some person who every time you see them, your blood pressure goes up just a little bit. Will you allow Jesus to cleanse that bitterness, to wash it away so that you don't have to cling to it anymore, so that you don't have to keep ingesting these toxic feelings that are eating us alive? Will you confess it? 
the anger and frustration you've been harboring, will you bring it to God? And will you say, man, I'm sorry. This is wrong. I've been holding on to it for too long. Please forgive me. What would your life even look like if you were free from bitterness? If I were free from bitterness, if we were free from bitterness, can we even imagine something like that anymore? In the Old Testament, there's actually an important story that sheds some light on this. I'd, I'd forgotten that I asked Rich to read it already, so I'm not going to, to go in and explain the whole thing but in Exodus 15, 22 through 27, the scripture reading for today, the Israelites, they're on their way to the promised land, right? They're, they're headed out. They've just left Egypt on their way. And they come to this place called what? Called Mara. Does that sound familiar? What did Naomi want her name changed to? Mara. Bitterness. Right? They couldn't drink the water here because it was bitter. But then what happens? Well, God shows up and he does this miracle where he tells Moses to take a log. I love God's like sense of creativity. Like, yeah, he doesn't just you know, snap his fingers and make the water clean. He's like, Moses, take a log. Throw it in there. Moses does. And what happens? The bitter water becomes clean and the Israelites drink their fill. God took that bitter taste and he made it sweet. And he wants to do the same thing for you this morning. In just a moment, we're going to transition to communion, where we not only get to, to see and hear, but to taste that the Lord is good. We get to have that, that bitter taste washed away and be made sweet as Jesus offers us his true body and blood. See, he offers forgiveness. He strengthens our faith. He nourishes us spiritually, not, not through anything magical, but through the power of His Word, which takes normal things like bread and grape juice and allows them to deliver spiritual blessings to those who believe. The truth is that when we do this, the first Sunday of every month, Communion Sunday, right? The Lord's Supper. This is no less miraculous than Moses taking a log and chucking it into the water to make bitter waters clean. And communion is a gift, by the way. Did you know that? It's a gift. Sometimes we treat communion like it's this super somber, serious thing. And certainly reverence is good. But the Lord's Supper is meant to be joyful. It's a foretaste of the wedding feast of the Lamb because it's a feast of forgiveness for those who believe. So as we come to the table today, my hope and my prayer is that God would be at work in your hearts to wash away all traces of bitterness and to replace them instead with the sweet taste of Jesus, the bread of life and the living waters, who alone can satisfy our deepest hunger and thirst. Let's pray. Hey friends, Pastor Luke here. Thanks so much for tuning in. I trust that you've been blessed by our message from God's Word today. 
hey, we'd love to connect with you more. If you have comments or questions, you can email me directly at pastorchellog at gmail.com. That's Pastor K-J-O-L-H-A-U-G at gmail.com. As we wrap up our time together today, please receive this benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace. Amen. Amen.